We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned into 100.9 FM WXAR in Rochester. This is Evidence of Design. I'm your host, Jason Taylor, and we're joined via Zoom by my good friend and co-host, Matt Treadwell. Hi. Folks, this episode was recorded on Thursday, January 7th, 2021, and is first airing on Saturday, January 9th, 2021. So we are pre-recorded due to COVID-19 and not wanting to be in the studio. Normally, we'd invite you to call in, but we'll plug later how you can get in touch with us throughout the week. Why would you want to? Well, Evidence of Design, this show, our show is all about critiquing income and wealth inequality. Our society is way too economically stratified, and we think that this economic inequality is not an accident. It was purposely created by those in power, in power, particularly by corporate interests, to, well, not have American society be fully realized uh, as a democracy or be fully realized to value human dignity. Because in free market capitalism, it's not incentivized for those things to happen. So we critique the fact that there is so much economic inequality in our society. We investigate its causes, critique its effects, and propose how we can solve some of its issues. On today's show, we are talking about two main things that were in the news this week. Wednesday, January 6th, 2021 was a red letter day for American history. We woke up to surprising news that Democrats won both of Georgia's runoff Senate seats. Democrats John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock defeated their Republican incumbent opponents, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. This is the first time in nearly 20 years that two Democrats will represent Georgia as its senators. Ossoff will be the youngest serving U.S. senator at age 33, and Warnock will be Georgia's first black senator ever. But the importance of this election doesn't just end at Georgia's borders. Ossoff's and Warnock's victories mean that Democrats and Republicans will now each have 50 seats in the Senate. Assuming senators vote along party lines and there's a 50-50 vote tie, then that means incoming Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris will be able to cast a tie-breaking vote for the Democrats. Therefore, Democrats are now effectively the majority leaders in the Senate, which vastly rewrites the trajectory of at least the first two years of Biden's presidency. 
the importance of this 50-50 split in the Senate with Democratic control versus, say, a 48-52 split in the Senate if they had lost, uh, that would allow the Republican control with Mitch McConnell, the importance of this difference cannot be overstated. It's a big deal. Biden can much more effectively get his appointees confirmed to begin with. And, well, the point of governing, he can now presumably get legislation passed, assuming Democrats can work together. With McConnell in power, Biden would simply have been in a chokehold and would not basically be able to do anything. Now, it's a different ballgame. We'll be talking about the Georgia Senate election on today's show and also, of course, the other big news of the week and this Wednesday was that whereas we woke up to Wednesday's Senate elections, we went to bed with perhaps even more surprising news where pro-Trump supporters rallied in Washington on behalf of President Trump claiming without any credible evidence that the election was stolen from Trump. Clashes broke out between the protesters and Capitol Police, and the protesters broke into the U.S. Capitol, pulling to a halt Congress's ordinary routine certification of the Electoral College votes. We've all seen the images. The world has seen the images. MAGA hats, Trump 2020 flags, Tea Party signs, and Confederate paraphernalia. Scaled walls, broken windows, shattered desks, and looted offices. Pitched scuffles, guns drawn, tear gas fired, and even deaths. Thankfully, and with good reason, the vast majority of people have responded to this incident with horror and shame. The problem, however, is that this incident should not have been a surprise. If you were shocked to see Wednesday's events unfold, and if you think that if Trump leaves office, then America's problems will magically go away, then I think one might not have an accurate diagnosis of our contemporary political and social problems. Politics and society are like the human body. The body works as a system of interrelated parts. Sometimes problems with the body are easy to see, such as a fracture. Other problems are harder to see, but will become apparent eventually. If you have prolonged calorie surplus, smoke cigarettes, drink an excessive amount of alcohol, don't exercise, and don't get adequate sleep, you'll get sick. You might develop clogged arteries, liver cirrhosis, lung cancer, or type 2 diabetes. There are plenty of bad things that can happen to the body from prolonged poor health choices. They might not appear when you're 20, they could, but they sure as heck might appear when you're 50. Actions and inactions have consequences. The same thing is true of our politics and society. Whether it's disinformation, greed and self-interest, corporate influence in politics, social media echo chambers, systemic racism, austerity, defunded social safety nets or impoverished wages, problems in our politics and society will eventually manifest unavoidably and gruesomely. It shouldn't take a physical assault on the nation's capital to finally get Facebook and Twitter to ban Trump's accounts. It shouldn't take a physical assault on the nation's capital for more than one Republican senator to publicly acknowledge and condemn Trump's actions. It shouldn't take a physical assault on the nation's capital for a majority of Democrats to get a backbone and harshly denounce Trump as a dangerous, authoritarian, anti-American demagogue. But you see that the problem doesn't even stop with Trump. 
Trump can leave office today and the Republican Party and its sycophants will still remain. Despite the physical assault on the nation's capital, six Republican senators, Josh Hawley of Missouri, Ted Cruz of Texas, Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, Roger Marshall of Kansas, John Kennedy of Louisiana, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, and Rick Scott of Florida all voted to not certify the free and fair election results from the 2020 general election. Despite the physical assault on the nation's capital, 139 Republican House members voted not to certify the free and fair results from the 2020 general election. The closest to home, Chris Jacobs, newly elected to the New York 27th Congressional District to the west of Rochester, east of Buffalo, he voted not to certify the free and fair election results. All of the focus has been on Trump supporters who broke into the Capitol, and much of the focus has been on Trump himself. Even some of the focus has been placed on the Capitol Police. The fact is, it's true that all of those parties do bear responsibility for their actions. However, the fact is also that the true co-op and insurrection came not just from the loud and misinformed rabble of Trump supporters, who were basically let into the Capitol by its police, but by the over 100 duly elected Republican congresspeople who cast ballots not to recognize the free and fair results of the 2020 U.S. general election. Trump can leave office today, and the insurrection and coup will still be in our government. So on today's show of Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR, we'll be talking about the Democratic victories in the Senate races in Georgia, and also, of course, the ongoing crises in our politics, borne out most uh, visibly by the contemporary uh, crisis of Trump's presidency and his supporters, but also, as we will argue on the show, by long-term, decades-long trends that have uh, basically had both political parties lack material politics, which has caused there to be such a large, uninformed rabble in America that falls prey to conservative propaganda and uh, doesn't get behind things that would actually make a difference in people's lives, like universal health care. I have so many thoughts, Jason. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's let's start with let's start with not the Democratic victories in the Senate. Let's end on a more positive note. Let's start in the dark place of Wednesday's uh, pro-Trump protests okay. in front of the Capitol. I, I think this will be one of the moments that we'll remember. You know, like nine eleven or the Great Recession or whatnot. Like where you were standing when you first heard about it. I, I you know, I, I will remember where I was. I think when I when I first heard that um, Congress went into recess because of uh, the, the protesters. You know, Matt, kind of where were you, and and what have your thoughts become out of that those events? Uh, I was at home, uh, and I was watching TV as it came on, and. My initial response was just to kind of like laugh at it because I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that that is the only or not the only, but it is the healthiest way for me to engage with politics at this point is to just laugh at it and try to not uh, become upset by things that are just entirely out of my control. You know, I, I mean, I guess the first thing I want to say to that is that that's sad, but I also don't disagree with you. Like, it's not, I, I don't think you're sad, you know, for, for saying that. Like, I think the reality well, is that being sad. said. Yeah. But, <laughs> we're all, we're all a little sad, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not really because sad. of yesterday, just, you know, in general. 
<laughs> some life choices I've made. <laughs> <laughs> or not made, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to have to, to have to detach yourself from reality, essentially to cope. I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Like that's part of the problem in our politics nowadays, where we have um, half of America who effectively has detached from reality to find, I think, a coping mechanism with (laughs) their identity, with meaning, with a sense of power. You know, depending on, I guess, what polls you're looking at, you know, anywhere between 20 and 40% of the country doesn't even vote in presidential elections. True, true. And and I think like from a, like, just from like a, um, I don't know if I want to call it like a mental health standpoint or like just a, a reality standpoint. I feel like those people kind of have it figured out, at least <laughs> in our current moment. To just completely detach. You know, I like, I, I don't want to agree with you and I don't think I do. Like, I think the only way to affect change is to have to engage, you know, one, one can't sort of stick their head in the sand. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I also totally hear what you're saying and I don't think it's healthy for us, you know, whether as a host of evidence of design or as someone, I, I don't do this, but let's say as someone who would go onto social media and, and post into the, into the ether about how, what they think about a thing. I don't think it's healthy to truly believe that your actions make a difference on a cosmic scale. You know, like you read something, you get really worked up about it in politics and then you go onto social media and you shout at a bunch of people who already agree with you. Like, I don't think that's super helpful. And, you know, as a, as a radio show host <laughs> in the grassroots um, uh, radio station, you know, I, I am under, I am not naive enough to think that what I'm saying here actually matters <laughs> on a grand political scale. On the other hand, I think that actions and inactions have consequences, like I said, and it certainly can't hurt to be the change that you want to see in the world. And so, um, you know, doing this show and talking about uh, what we see as the true problems in society and advocating for what we would see as, as solutions certainly can't hurt, but to let it sort of um, overcome you and and uh, define who you are and your identity, I think that's unhealthy. I want to be explicit for the sake of posterity and say that I'm not saying that you should just if you're if you have any sort of like interest in politics or consider yourself a politically invested person that you should just give up and not try or not do anything and not care anymore because because you can't do anything um that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that you can't do anything because the reality of our current uh political system is that you as an individual and really, even as a member of uh, a community or crowd, you, you, you have very little, you carry very little weight. And there's really not a lot you can do right now. That may change, and it, and it will have to change at some point in the future in, in order for us to um, right ourselves out of this death spiral that we seem to be uh, caught in. But the, the present political moment is not one in which we command any real agency. And so when I say that, you know, the 20 to 40% of people who don't vote in presidential elections have it figured out, what I'm saying is I think that they have correctly deduced that there is nobody, there is no major political party, at least on a mainstream level, that is interested 
in serving and protecting the material politics, the material interests of the working class. And what do you mean by material politics, material interests? Just help, help us to define that. I know what you're talking about, but that's a weird term. Right. So material interest would just be um, making sure that people are uh, taken care of on, on a basic level, that they have, no matter, no matter uh, what their employment situation is or how much money they're bringing home, they always have enough money to put food on the table, to pay rent or, or have a, a place to live and to have access to uh, clothing and uh, health care. So when we talk about material needs, it's, it's the basic stuff that you need to survive, to have to live a, a life of decency and dignity. Right. And I, so now I'm catching on to your point, Matt, where like the people who perhaps recognize that they can't really individually make a change in politics, how like that might be healthier living in the current political moment. Because like what strikes me as super, super sad about this is that you have all that like that licentious group of Trump supporters in front of in front of the Capitol with their MAGA hats and their Trump flags and their Confederate paraphernalia and their, you know, Tea Party signs. You have that entire group of people out there who presumably right and presumably in some sort of rational political line of thinking presumably think that a biden presidency will somehow make their lives worse because otherwise like i I doubt they're out there just out of notion of fairness clearly trump tries to argue without any credible evidence that the that the election was stolen from him that's not true if you believe that, you have an epistemic crisis in discerning, discerning truth from fiction. So, you know, I, I pity the people who stand out there and are protesting to get Trump reelected because I don't think their lives will material change materially change whatsoever with a Biden presidency, <laughs> which is hilarious because it's like, what are you fighting for? You know, if those people could channel their energy into getting universal health care, like health care as a human right, imagine the kind of world that we would live in. Instead, like we have pitted ourselves into camps yelling about two different candidates or parties that really won't material make uh, substantive material changes in people's lives. And that's really sad. And I think that's what we need to recognize in American society is that the way forward from our current moment is to recognize a material politics that meets people's basic needs. I would imagine that the reason why there are so many people out there who uh, believe in mis or believe in disinformation. And I would imagine that the reason why there are so many people out there who are fearful of scapegoats like immigrants or, uh, you know, as egregious and uh, as carnal of an American sin as, you know, uh, people of color challenging whatever sense of power that like the white working class has, which is an imagined power. You know, I would imagine that all of these sort of false beliefs that sort of angry Trump supporters have are born out of a reality that they might not see. And that is that they are economically forgotten. 
and that when they tune into you know whatever hollywood movie or whatever uh you know mass media organization that's not fox news um or when they have discussions with family or friends or when they watch their uh you know maybe friends from high school move to bigger liberal cities and actually get good paying jobs and a college education maybe you know it's not even guaranteed anymore i imagine that they feel like something is inherently wrong with our society and they don't know where to channel their anger or fear or sadness and so it goes towards scapegoats and becomes susceptible to demagoguery and the perverse hilarity and irony of it all is that they end up supporting the party and the politician who is a primary architect and engineer of those inherently economically damaging policies <laughs> you know for all of Trump's talk of bringing manufacturing jobs back and being tough on China and making the world pay, you know, for NATO or whatever, that's all complete scapegoats for the fact that uh, Trump, Trump tried to take away people's health care. You know, Trump reduced the amount of, of revenue the federal government made such that it is it, it become less able to uh, provide people social safety nets. Trump lowered the taxes on the wealthiest individuals, allowing them to further exploit workers. You know, Trump's appointees on the Supreme Court uh, re uh, made it harder for unions to represent workers, made it harder for worker for people uh, to sue companies for malpractice, made it harder for people to sue companies for environmental uh, damages and health issues. You know, so like. All of these things that Trump and the Republican Party do that materially make people's lives worse, and yet they become susceptible to blaming scapegoats instead. Yeah, I want to say that I think it's very generous of you to call Trump an architect because I feel like he doesn't have <laughs> his own vision doesn't go doesn't go anywhere beyond his own self aggrandizement. Um, but he does. As you said, he is a part of the of the class that benefits from all of these policies, and um, certainly understands that he benefits from it. Yeah, it's such an. Oh uh, no, this is an unfair statement to say it's an American perverse, like a unique American perversity. I'm sure it's not unique, but just you know, how does a poor white lower working class? Uh, worker in Kansas who has, you know, a, a, a pretty awful healthcare plan, if any, tied to their job that provides pretty meager wages, come to support a candidate who inherited billions of dollars from his father and, you know, has been a member of the top 1% for his entire life and literally didn't have to work for it. Like he was born into that wealth, you know? And like, how do we get there in America? It's really, really fascinating and interesting about how broken of a society that we're in when you have no political party that is speaking to the working class. Well, I think that like, it's, I mean, we talk a lot about how, about the necessity for, for nuance in political discussion that seems to be increasingly absent in our uh, contemporary discourse. But I think it really is, it, I think it can be understood on a very simple level. And it's just that we have operated under the current system for so long, a system that does not have a major political party that is speaking to the material needs of the 
working class. And as such, the the mere notion that any other sort of like economic reality could be created is uh it's 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 too good to be true you know it's 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 a grift it's 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 impossible to for i think many people to even imagine things being any different than they are and so all we've been left with with the absence of 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 actual politics in the country is our cultural differences and so the appeal of donald trump to you know like a midwest steel worker or factory worker is that he is a rube <laughs> he is a buffoon and he's and uh he he is uh he's also incredibly uh charismatic and, and able to portray himself as a strong tough guy even though we know he's not um but he sells his image very well and and that is the the core of his appeal but I do want to push back, Jason, on the idea that the people who, you know, rallied or uh, rioted at the Capitol yesterday were these poor, uh, poor working class people. I mean, I'm sure that it's I'm sure that some of them were. But I think a lot of the people who made this trip were what were the, the kind of people that that tend to make up Trump's base, which are not necessarily poor working class. They're actually you know, up middle to upper uh, working class. And I say working class in the sense that they still have to sell their time um, in order to earn a wage. But, you know, for just for instance, the, uh, the woman who was uh, shot and killed yesterday, Ashley Babbitt, I believe is her name. She was from San Diego, uh, an, an area called Ocean Beach, I think, which it has a, a median income of like $82,000 a year. Um, owned a pool supply company with her husband. Like, these are not these are not people that are what we would call uh, in an economically precarious position. And I apologize if it sounds like I'm lisping even more today. I just got braces. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, things are looking up, man. I, I got braces. The the Capitol building was set on fire. I think twenty twenty one is going to be a great year. Um, <laughs> really looking forward to it. But like, a, <laughs> okay. So I had I had a whole, <laughs> I had a whole like joke that I was going to say earlier about the, the the people who attended this rally. They're the kinds of people who 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 say that things like, uh, near Tandon's. Uh, nomination as director of the office of management and budget is dead on arrival because of her obvious ties to antifa but you know that's ridiculous uh for anybody who knows anything about near tandon um and trump appointed her to his economic council just for context yeah, yeah. because she's <laughs> i'm sorry not trump uh, biden biden appointed near tandon to his economic council of advisors sorry not trump <laughs> right but 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 that's ridiculous because she's no friend of Antifa. For one thing, she's uh, uh, no friend of the left either. She's has a noted history for uh, proposing the slashing of uh, of social welfare programs and and pushing for more austere politics, which is the, the exact opposite of what any actual leftist believes in. Um, 
but besides the point, like th that doesn't even begin to get into the sort of uh, nonsensical, just like uh, delirium that these people pass around on social media. And if you want to, I'm not going to get into it because it's not it's not worth the time to discuss. But the the thing is, is that these the 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 reality of the is that these people will not, as you said, Jason, they will not. Um, they will not suffer. Their, their lives will not be really, I think, at all different under Biden than they were under Trump. And oh. the reason why I think that is, is because they are all, the majority of them, well off in the sense that they, uh, they all... Um, were able to take a week off, drive out of state, book a hotel in DC for uh, a failed reality TV show host to storm the Capitol building. And uh, when it was all said and done, <laughs> they, they, they got inside and uh, what did they do? Like, what was the, their big plan to, to, to take over the Capitol and stop the steal? It was to take a bunch of selfies in the Senate chamber and in Nancy Pelosi's office. And then the police showed up at, and were like, okay, the curfew's at six. Everybody get out. Gotta go to and bed, guys. Like, okay, we're gonna go home now. And that was it. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> This is the the insurrection, you know. This is this is uh, this is what I've been waiting all these past four years for. I'm I'm kind of disappointed, honestly. Yeah. So, Matt, great point. I want to jump on that after reminding folks that you're tuned into 100.9 FM WXAR in Rochester. You're listening to Evidence of Design, and we're talking on today's episode about two of the most important events, perhaps in uh, recent American history. This this week, then the same day on Wednesday, one Democrat took control of the Senate thanks to winning both of the runoff seats in Georgia. Democrats now tied 50-50 in the Senate for the, at least the first two years of the incoming Biden administration. And we've been talking about the pro-Trump uh, protesters who stormed uh, the Capitol building this Wednesday as well. Matt, I want to jump onto that last point that you were just saying about, you know, these protesters who, uh, you know, I sort of built it up in the intro and also what you're saying, you know, they, they stormed the building, there's media, there's photos, there was violence, four people ended up dying uh, as of the recording of the show on Thursday from the events of the incident. And um, you know, it, it's a, it's a dis, it, it is a disgrace and a stain on American politics, mainly not, not necessarily because of their tactics, right? Here's what people are confusing is that if like, let's, let's be honest here, if working class or, you know, black lives matter or whatever else, if, you know, people had organized themselves to do similar actions, you know, to do a stage in on Capitol Hill, to fight for social justice and human dignity and human rights, I think that we would have a different reaction to it. The problem is, is that these people <laughs> had, what was their agenda? It was to not recognize the free and fair 
elections in the U.S. government. And I think that is what's so horrific about it, or what should be so horrific about it, is what they're trying to fight for. And I think that's where like the language of the coup or the insurrection comes from. It's not necessarily the fact that the people protested in the Capitol and tried to force their way in. Protests do things like that often, although it certainly turned violent more than many do and certainly captured the nation's attention. I think, you know, what feels coup-ish and insurrectionists about it was the protesters, um, you know, seeming goal to overturn the results of the free and fair election. But this is where I got to my point in the introduction is that we're missing, don't mistake the map for the terrain here, right? The Republican Party is the party and its officials are the party that are telling these supporters to do these things. Even after the Capitol was stormed, as I mentioned, several Republican senators, you know, between six and nine, did not vote to certify the election results. 139 Republican House representatives members did not vote to certify the House uh, to, to, to certify the general election results. That is the coup. That is the insurrection. The Republican Party will still be here after Donald Trump. That is the issue in my mind, is the fact that it's the party itself and the ideas they stand for and the things that they say that is the true American coup. It's not necessarily these Trump supporters. Yeah, I just think that like so much of the, at least the TV media coverage that I've seen about this thing has been way off. It's just like pictures of like that guy in Nancy Pelosi's office with his uh, boots on her desk. And they're like, this is how, this is it. This is how democracy dies with hundreds of selfies. (laughs) 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 You know, they're just, uh, they're just taking the position of like conservatives and Republicans are always like, but what about our buildings? Whenever a black person gets shot by police and protesters like burn down a bus station or something. Right. You, you know how democracy dies is not is it's it's often not the shot to the head it's often the heart attack or the diabetes or the lung cancer you know it's often yeah, the, the chronic long time coming exactly the long like the, collapse of empire and that's what we've been that's our argument on the show that's what we're saying is that america is in a long term decline and it's not make america great again We are not saying that America had ever had it figured out, but at least on some, indeed, at least on many metrics, we were more economically equal, let's say 50 or 60 years ago. Thankfully, we have made some social strides since then, not economic, but social, and still a long way to go with social strides. With the economic gains will come the social too, I think. And so the problem that we're seeing in modern America... Yeah, we're finally at a point in our nation's history where less than half of the country believes you should have the right to own slaves. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And slavery was an economic rationalization, remember. It was, it was, a rec- it was an economic system. And so the, the problem that we're seeing in modern America and the decades-long decline, which manifests as disinformation polarization, uh, lack of 
uh, morally backed leadership on the world stage. What I mean by that is saying that we're pro-democracy and then we invade uh, Iraq or whatever, you know, um, the, the, not taking action against climate change when it's backed by science, not wearing a mask during, during, a, during a pandemic that has killed more than 360,000 Americans in less than one year. That is all manifestation of American decline. It is all yeah. manifestation of democracy dying. It is not They're this per- dude sticking his boots on Nancy Pelosi's desks. <laughs> that guy's an idiot, but he's you know he's not he's not the coup. <laughs> there, there, there were four thousand people, four thousand Americans who died of COVID yesterday, and all that the media is talking about right now is that uh, some windows were broken on Capitol Hill and how democracy is dead because of this. Right. It's it's just like it makes me want to tear my hair out except i'm bald so i can't tear my hair out <laughs> i'm just left with this empty feeling of of uh, 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 um, of extreme emotion that has no release or catharsis <laughs> well folks this is evidence of design at 100.9 fm wxir in rochester matt i want to switch gears now well we we started with the dark we're going to end with the light i don't know how light it's going to be but um uh, we've we've been talking about how we are pessimistic about how either party has material benefits to americans lives i would take the democratic party over the republican party um 99.9 percent of the time out of 100 right just because i trust the values that the Democratic Party ostensibly stands for. I trust the voting record that Democrats tend to vote for, but I am not without my critique to the Republican Party. I view the Democratic Party as the least bad option in many regards, the least bad option. If you're going to talk about, like, if you're going to compare the two political parties in America to, uh, like, unhealthy habits... Um, the Democratic Party is like eating at McDonald's every day, while whereas the Republican Party is just like speedballing until your heart explodes. <laughs> I was I was wondering if you're going to say KFC, then I was going to say, man, if Republican Party is like KFC. I might have to <laughs> might have to go with KFC, but um, yeah, not McDonald's. Yeah, so totally great great example. Um, you know, and. I, the vast majority of listeners who would hear us critique the Democratic Party this way, I think, would would, would question what we're saying. Uh, and that's that's fine and fair. And that's because Matt and I have very high standards for what our politics should be. We yeah, we're snobs. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we are political snobs, uh, meaning that we unequivocally believe that health care is a human right, that you as a human being deserve to have health care free of charge at the point of sale without needing to have a job that you deserve healthcare as a human being. We unequivocally believe that we also unequivocally believe that in a capitalistic society, meaning one that requires people to work for labor, to get money, to buy necessary goods and services that you as a human being deserve universal basic income, that poverty should not exist. We can, we can literally get rid of poverty tomorrow with universal basic income by guaranteeing that you have 
at least $1 over whatever the federal poverty level is. Of course, that wouldn't actually get rid of your poverty. It's just a line. Uh, but, you know, if politicians wanted to say that to make themselves feel better, they could do that. Uh, you know, but we unequivocally believe that you deserve universal basic income so that whether or not you have a job, you can at least put food on your table. We unequivocally believe that our government and businesses should take action to prevent the destruction of the human species and others due to the threat of climate change. We unequivocally believe that regardless of who you are as a human being, whether it's your sex, your race, your gender, you, you know, your orientation, your creed, your religion, whatever it is, that you deserve fair and equal treatment under the law and as a human being and uh, you know, treat other people the way you want to be treated, unequivocally. We unequivocally believe that people have a right to choose what happens to their own body. We unequivocally believe all of these things. And I don't think that sounds so scary <laughs> when I tell you that you deserve healthcare, when I tell you that you deserve universal basic income, when I tell you that you deserve to be treated with the full respect and dignity that every single human being has. That's what Matt and I stands for, I think. And so, yeah, it's the, the indie rock of left wing <laughs> politics. Right. And so when we critique the Democratic Party, it's out of frustration born out of economic policies that have done too little for too long. We think the Democratic Party should have a stronger backbone. We think the Democratic Party should stop using conservative language and propaganda and rhetoric to say, like, uh, you know, hardworking men and women, uh, American workers, middle class jobs, small businesses. That stuff is all bullcrap. It's all used to justify the same capitalist system that is allowing human beings to suffer every single day. But even more simply, if, if, one, um, if one political party, if you, if you live in, first of all, if you're living in a country where there are only two major political parties, as we are, and one political party just decides, screw it, I'm going to be insane now. All you have to do as the other political, political party is be slightly less crazy than the crazies and and jason and i we think that maybe we deserve a little better than slightly <laughs> less crazy than slightly less crazy right and so uh matt let's talk about what the democrats can do now now that we mentioned at the start of the show that they have taken over the senate this is a big deal and i think this is a really good deal as someone who supports the democratic party its policies its values and morals more so than the republican party which but will just, we get a new deal will we get a new deal golly i would love a new deal wouldn't it be insane if the government used its power to create opportunity for people i know that happens i know what happens i'm being you know too cheeky uh but yeah. to, to actually use its power to actually get things done to actually give people economic guarantee to actually resolve suffering. Cause you I, know, I love, you, no, go for it. I, I love the narrative that uh, that's been shaping so far. It's like Joe Biden's just like, man, COVID was a real bummer, huh? Do you guys like Keynesian economics? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Have the government do some uh, the demand side economics to, to prime the pump and uh, increase government spending into, into society, which I think is a good thing at large, but you know, you know, here's the issue for me and where people might call call us a radical. Like I, I can't view, I can't view something like poverty without seeing it as a human creation. I just don't believe in poverty. 
Like literally, I, I don't believe in poverty in a society that has the means to meet its needs. It's not that we lack the technology to produce enough food for everyone. Not that we, it's not that we lack the technology to take care of people's healthcare. It's not that we lack the technology to uh, ensure people have you know, transportation from A to B. We just, we just choose not to distribute those resources to people. We choose not to, it's a choice. We've invented poverty. And so I can't ever wake up in this society and see people suffer from poverty. And if not poverty, even see pe people suffer from the threat of poverty, to see people suffer from the threat of ins insecurity. I can't go on in society and see that and not demand that it end. It is my duty as a citizen to demand that it ends because it is my duty as a human being to advocate for the betterment of myself and others. It is my duty. And I think lots of you know, major world religions would agree with that and, and other things. So there, there are systems out there that we can use as humans to advocate for the ending of, of at least material suffering. And, and we can do that. So what can Democrats do? Democrats now uh, will have the presidency with Joe Biden, uh, assuming Trump and his supporters and the Republican Party don't actually do the coup that we all know they would love to have happen. Um, well, yeah, I mean... I mean, a lot of at least Senate Republicans uh, have been condemning the the events of yesterday, and I think it's because like they they understand they don't need Trump. Right. Like they're getting they're getting Biden, and it's and is it going to be that different? Honestly, no, it's not. And 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 another thing, do they really want to even like own this moment? in uh, political history when we are having the equivalent of 9-11 happen every day in terms of a uh, number of people dying of COVID? Probably not. I mean, if they can, uh, people are quick to forget, unfortunately. And if yes. they can pin this on the Democrats, then I think that suits them. And they have gotten all that they've wanted out of, or, or the, the, the mainstream, uh, and I use this term in the loosest possible <laughs> um, meaning, but the mainstream part of the Republican Party got what it wanted out of Trump, which was its judici his judicial appointments and the, the tax uh, cuts that, that they passed in 2017. They don't need him anymore. And, and they're not losing much by losing him. So I don't think that, that people don't have anything to worry about in terms of a coup an actual coup I, I would agree with you matt so what can democrats do now that they will have the narrowest majority possible in the senate <laughs> and um uh even uh you know a slightly larger but still very small majority in the house of representatives and having the executive branch what can democrats do at least in the first two years of the biden presidency because the they can worry about their electability in the coming midterms and not do anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the 2022 uh, midterm elections are supposed to be really bad for Democrats, by the way, just in terms of who's up for re-election in terms of, you know, the, the first midterm of the presidency is usually really bad for the, uh, the sitting president. So 2022, Republicans are most likely, according to modern political logic, going to take over at least one of the branches of uh, the, the legislative branch. So either the Senate or the House. So Democrats have uh, two years to from from, you know, January 20th or whenever Biden's sworn in um, to, to do whatever they want to do, having full power in the government. 
they, they have say this that power. they uh, they graft uh, Joe Biden under the sand king under the sand warm body. Uh, that they launch their uh, terrarium into outer space and, and uh, leave the Republicans to burn up with the planet in the next thirty years. <laughs> That's certainly one thing they could do. Um, I would love to see Democrats drastically raise taxes on the wealthiest individuals in this country. Drastically raise taxes on the wealthiest individuals. The top marginal tax rate right now is maybe around 35%. It used to be as high as 90% for, uh, uh, you know, for at least a decade in American history and for several decades at 70%. Can you, it's like unimaginable now to imagine the top marginal tax rate at 70%. I would love to see the Democrats drastically raise the top marginal taxes on the wealthiest individuals in this country and see and, and, and use that money to fund things like our healthcare system, like universal basic healthcare, or sorry, uh, universal healthcare, to create a universal basic income system, to, to do those things. Because I think that people will be fine with that when you tell them, we're going to tax these people who have billions of dollars. They're going to be billionaires even after we tax them. And you're going to get some of the money. Or we're going to tax these people who are billionaires. They're going to be billionaires after we tax them. And you're going to have guaranteed health care. <laughs> like, I think that's a winning proposition. I would love to see them increase top marginal taxation and use that money to fund uh, social, social safety nets. I mean, it's not like Medicare for all is like a popular political opinion in this country or anything. Right. Sarcasm. Polling above like 70% during the general election. Right. So that would be a great thing. I would love to see Democrats also drastically try to expand uh, efforts to tackle climate change. This means uh, aggressively pushing towards uh, renewable energies. And if you tell people we are taking climate change seriously because the science points to the fact that human beings contribute to a warming of climate and that unless we change our behaviors, then we, our lifestyles and other creatures will die. Uh, then, you know, we should do something about that. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to create new jobs and training programs in renewable energies. So great. Do you want a new career? Do you want to learn something rewarding and challenging? Do you want to make money doing it? You can go into these careers and help save humanity from climate change. That would be a good thing for people to do, and I think that's hard to disagree with. How, how much do you want to bet, Jason, that in, in the spirit of bipartisan cooperation, which Joe Biden has touted as like, he's going to be the guy that brings this country, this divided country back together. And... Uh, you know, God bless him if he can do it. But the, the Democrats and the Republicans introduce a bill which will further slash uh, the corporate tax rate while also introducing a carbon tax that raises the gas prices. For their- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I can see that happening. <laughs> uh, now, when I said raise taxes, I said on the wealthiest individuals, <laughs> not me, because I got to drive to my job so I can keep health care. <laughs> But, you know, I just think that we have we can we can learn a lot from our our uh, our compatriots in France and uh, the wonderful job that Emmanuel Macron has been doing over there. <laughs> with the, uh, 
The gilet jaune. <laughs> the gilet jaune, <laughs> exactly. Um, here's my last thing I'll have to say for what Democrat, what I'd love to see Democrats do in their, in their two years of holding power in Washington before Republicans likely take it back in 2022, or at least, you know, put a stop on it. I would or love to see... De- <laughs> I would love to see... <laughs> I would love to see Democrats, uh, propo- you know, have structural fixes to our political system. I know they can't get rid of the Electoral College without doing an amendment to the Constitution, but I would love to see something that would sort of revitalize the Voting Rights Amendment to prevent uh, people of color, communities of color and states from being marginalized at polls, from having longer poll lines, from being, you know, getting rid of the, the, the voter registration. I would love to see Democrats have, uh, you know, revitalized the voting rights amendment that was gutted by the conservative Supreme Court. I would love to see Democrats tamp down on campaign contributions from private corporations or private individuals and, ma- and mandate that those become transparent. I would love to see Democrats t- uh, uh, take a stronger stance uh, on transparency for the executive branch so that we can never get a president like Trump again. So rid- right into law that presidents must release their tax return, right into law that a sitting president can be indicted for criminal activity, right into law that... Um, you know, presidents cannot have foreign interference, cannot conspire with foreign interference in domestic elections, things of that nature. Uh, there are so many things to fix in our politics. We talked about it with Dr. Kevin Mayweather a few weeks ago, and also we looked at the um, American Academy of Arts and Sciences Revitalizing American Democracy Report. I-, I would love to see Democrats do those. So my three things, my wish list, uh, my New Year's resolutions to the Democratic Party. One, drastically increase taxes on the wealthiest individuals and then divert those dollars to uh, social safety net, universal basic income, or, uh, you universal healthcare. Two, uh, actually tackle climate change with aggressive policies that will save humanity and the planet. And in doing so, create new jobs that are, you know, that will be high paying because they're in demand uh, and and will help to transition people into new careers. Three, uh, help to protect and revitalize American democracy by doing such things as increasing transparency in the executive branch and also increasing transparency for corporate donations and uh, preventing, uh, you know, Tamping down on the amount of money that corporations or private individuals can donate and revitalizing the Voting Rights Act so that communities of color in particular cannot be um, uh, shut out of the political process. I don't have, I'm not very optimistic on what the next few years are going to look like. I don't have any, I don't have any real faith in the shape that the Democratic Party has taken the, from the or, nor do I have much confidence in the administration that Joe Biden has been putting together. Um, you know, if anything, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to not having to care about politics as much in the sense that, like, at, at least the news will not be inundated with the latest thing that Trump has said. I mean, it probably still will be because he's not going to go away. He's not going to go to prison. He's he's going to start a, a TV channel or, or something. He's he's he'll, he'll be on parlor or whatever the <laughs> Republican version of <laughs> Twitter is. And we're, we're going to live with him forever because he, these people don't die anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> All right, we got what a way to end the show on that note because we're because we're running out of time, folks. Thanks for tuning in to us. 
on evidence of design and 100.9 FM WXAR in Rochester. It was quite a week in American politics. We covered just two events that happened on one day this week, Democrats winning control of the U.S. Senate for at least the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency, thanks to the runoff elections in Georgia, where Democrats won both seats, and also the pro-Trump supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol and tried to, along with their Republican colleagues, oh, well, no, Republican um, <laughs> idols, uh, overthrow the results of the free and fair 2020 general election where Joe Biden legitimately won. We talked about those two things in American politics. Here's to year of 2020 where, God, can't be worse. No, here's to year 2021 where hopefully can't be worse in 2020. But it's up to all of us and especially those in power to make sure it doesn't go that way. So you can always stay in touch with us via our email at radioeod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at our Radio EOD handles. We'd love to hear from you throughout the week. Let us know if you have an idea for a future show, if you ever want to come on yourself. You can also find our past episodes on YouTube by searching for the Evidence of Design YouTube channel. And we're on wherever you can find your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. This was Evidence of Design. I was your host, Jason Taylor, joined by my good friend and co-host, Matt Treadwell. Keep smiling. Till next time, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.